You guys look great today. I, I'm looking out, and it's, are there any empty seats at all in the room right now? If there are, consider yourself uh, needing some sort of hygiene because it's, we are wrapped in here. Um, last week, I gave you guys a homework assignment. We're, we're on phase three of a three-month series, and th- we talked about what to do with our time and not to waste it and foundations of good time management. We talked about the stewardship of, of resource this last whole month. We talked about generosity and debt and rhythms from the Garden of Eden and priorities, and then we started this month with really getting into our talents. What is it that God's put inside of us that's an investment from his heart into ours, and how do we take that investment and change the world? Last week, we had a homework assignment. Let's, let's see who did it. How many of you guys got, got um, you know, B's or better in high school? Can I see your hand? All right. How many of you don't like people that got B's or better in high school? Let me see. Okay, good. How many of you sat next to them anyway because you wanted to get C's or better? You need somebody to copy off of? Now we know who everybody is, don't we? Just, just that simple. So last week's homework assignment was me asking you one question, and that is, what are you what? Okay, let's try it again because the B people got it, but the C below people didn't. All right, try it again. What are you most passionate about, right? So what are you passionate about? And we drew a circle. And we said, hey, with this circle, you know, what am I, what am I passionate about? What is, what is it that thrills me? When I'm done doing the things I have to do, what are the things that I do when I, when I, when I want to do it? And what we're going to do is build on that today and go from passion to our pain. And so we're going to talk about passion, pain. A couple of weeks from now, we're going to talk about proficiency. But today, we are going to get into the, uh, the element of pain. And eventually, by the end of this month, we hope to do something like this. Now, let's take these three circles, like an Olympic flag, and define where they overlap. My heart for you as your pastor Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, God gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and all that kind of stuff. That's wonderful. But the purpose of those offices of ministry is to prepare God's people for works, good works. So my job today is very simple. I just want you to find you. Evangelism is when someone leads you to Jesus. Discipleship is when someone leads you to you. And there's a huge difference. There will, grow, there will be a growing dissatisfaction with any brand of Christianity, and it may be the wrong word to use, but any, any form of following Jesus that doesn't include not just coming out of something, but walking into something. God didn't just save you from something. God saved you for something. And understanding what God saved you for becomes the joy that, that is your strength. Understanding what you're supposed to be doing becomes the reason that we pray. It, it, isn't, it isn't this dutiful, boring, okay, God, they tell me if I don't pray 10 minutes a day, you'll be mad at me. And if I pray 10 minutes a day, my life will be better kind of prayer. But God, I'm walking in the valley of the shadow of death, and I need Jesus to walk with me. I need your spirit inside of me. I need your word beneath me. I need a sword in my hand, a shield, a breastplate. I need to believe what the Bible says because today I've got a meaningful life. Like it's different than the drone-like, robotic, industrial revolution. Go screw this nut into that bolt. Black coffee cheer for the bears on the weekend life. We have a responsibility as Jesus has invested in us to do something with that to change the world. Somebody say amen. So this is the end of a month. This is what we're heading towards. We're looking for. Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10 and verse 36. <clears throat> Open up your cell phones to Luke chapter 10. Open up your iPads to Luke chapter 10. Anybody still have a paper Bible? Let me see your hand. I love that you do. I lo- you know what? There's something about people. Was There's a saying that if your Bible is falling apart, I'll show you a man whose life isn't. Right? So, Matt, is your Bible falling apart? Okay. Explains your life then. Good. Yeah. Good. All right. So let's talk about pain. Today we're getting into pain. I'm going to warn you. Here's a heads up. Uh, Americans don't like to talk about pain. They don't like to look at pain. I promise you by the end of the day, there will not be this slow motion tear going down a puppy's face in a cage, shivering in the arms of the angel playing in the background moment. 
I'm not here to manipulate pain. I'm here for us to understand what, what role pain plays in telling us who we are. Because God will give you pain to one that he does not give to another. Part of what makes you unique is the stuff that kills you, not just the stuff that thrills you. So Luke chapter 10, verse 36, here we go. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He marinated him and barbecued him, and then... He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expenses you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now, here's my question. As we look at society and culture, we see a Levite. We see a priestly tribe, one of the 12 tribes whose job was not to own uh, land, was not to farm, was not to invest. His job was to stand between the nation of Israel and Israel's God. That's his job. A Levite, even more so. He's, he's uh, uh, the, the Levite, I'm sorry, and then the priest. The priest, as he's going down the road, this is a Levite who has specific duties, responsible before God to make offerings on behalf of the people of Israel. The very important people. And then the Samaritan. The Samaritan is, is honestly, I don't have time for a culture lesson, but, but understand this. The Samaritans and all other parts of the Bible are bad guys. Like, and, well, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. Like, that's probably not a good thing. You know, well, you're a, well, you must be a Samaritan. Go reach Samaria. Like, they, they're sinners. They're bad. They're wearing black hats. Um, they're not the good cowboy with a white hat. They're the bad cowboy with a black hat. They're the ones that... So in a modern-day translation of this, a, a, a pastor went by, and an evangelist went by, and then a Taliban went by. That's almost what's being said. A Taliban. You know, there's no good Taliban. There's no good... Da, da, da. Hear me. Jesus is making something really extraordinarily plain. And my question about that is this. Simply answer this question. What is it that makes the good Samaritan good? Because he's really not. If there's anybody good in the story, it's the Levite. His pedigree, his, his job description, his anointing makes him a far superior moral being than the Samaritan. The priest who happened down the road. I mean, the, the guy was literally on his way to, to minister before the Holy One of Israel on behalf of the nation of Israel. He's obviously better than the Samaritan. So here's the question again. What is it that made the good Samaritan good? And the answer is, is simply this. It's pain. The Bible says this. It's the word spanchizomai. It says when he saw him, he took pity on him. The word pity means something very simple. Dan Abel sitting down in the front row, and if Dan were to walk up here, and I said, just stand still, put your arms down, close your eyes, and relax. And while he had his eyes closed, I walked up front, and I just diaphragmed him. I just jammed his lungs into his larynx, right? He would double over and go, right? And, and maybe, I might even kill poor Dan. I don't know. You know what I mean? This mighty Thor-like blast of energy. I might hurt my hand, too. I don't know. So Dan doubles over. What is that? That's spanchizomai. It's a churning of the bowels. It's a twisting of the guts. And anybody here that has ever seen a toddler learning how to walk, let's, let's just pull the mothers because the mothers are going to be better at this than the fathers because the fathers will say rub some dirt on it. But a little boy, he's, he's at that 11-month, 12-month sort of like walking zombie-ish, and all of a sudden you see him start to tip over backwards. Mothers, don't think about it. Just say, you see a kid falling over, what do you do? What do you say? <gasps> right? It's an involuntary. <gasps> what is that? It's a turning of the bowels. It's, it's a, I didn't mean to go, oh. <gasps> 
what, what do we even need the breath for? <gasps> oh, just in case there's no oxygen after it hits the floor. I just want to make sure I had a good lung full of... It's, it's, it's literally an involuntary... <gasps> so what happens is the Samaritan is different than the priest and the Levite. The priest sees him and goes, oh my gosh, this guy's still breathing. I mean, so the guy that did this to him is still around, or the people that did this, I'm in danger, and he boogies. The Levite goes, well, he, he's naked. He's not speaking. I don't know if he's a clean person, an unclean person. I don't know if he's a, a Jew or if he's a Gentile or if he's a Herodian. Or I, don't, I don't know what he is. But if I touch him, I will be ceremonially unclean to minister before a holy God. I, I, I can't. I got things to do. I have more important things to do. But when the Samaritan sees him, what makes the Samaritan good is he's willing, and please hear me, for an instant, for a moment, to have his heart broken by the need of somebody else. What is it that makes the good Samaritan good? Guys, it's pain. I think that we've done ourselves a great injustice um, if we're not careful. I'm going to say the Western culture has, but I'm going to say it's also not an unnatural part of the Christian community to insulate ourselves or even isolate ourselves from pain. We don't like pain. We've associated somehow that all pain is bad. And, and if I broke my femur, I'm delighted that there's the lauded. Can I get a witness? It's a 10. It's a 10, right? You know, I, I went through your pain on a scale from 1 to 10. 14, just give me drugs, right? And that's a hangnail. I'm a wuss. But, but that, that thought that, that we can relieve all pain, like, well, that hurts, so I, I'm just going to change the channel because I don't want to see it. Well, that, that hurts, so I'm going I'm to move on to the next conversation because I, I just don't have the capacity to hear it. Jesus actually warns us in the last days there's going to be an increase of wickedness that the love of most will actually grow cold. Well, love it has compassion included in it. It has spanchizomai. It has the moving. You did, that kid hit the ground. It wasn't like, oh, well, if you didn't care, you'd be like, ah, somebody should take care of that kid. But if that's your kid, there's, there's an involuntary, oh, my gosh, please, somebody help that child. Catch that child. What would you do to save that child from the pain that they're heading towards? And I want you to hear me. I think that not all pain is bad pain. I'd even say some pain is good pain that we need to feel. And if, for our today's sake, I'll even say this. I think some pain is God pain. It doesn't just tell us something's wrong. It tells us who we are. It tells us who he is. He's invested in you so many wonderful things. Do not reject the wonderful gifts of our wonderful God. I don't know why I have a burden for that. I don't know why that kills me. I don't, I don't know why that bothers me. Maybe because, because God has done far more good things through people in pain than he ever did with people that were passionate or proficient. Think, think of it this way. Why do people jump on grenades? We just had veterans stand up. How many guys and gals remember grenade jumping practice? Remember the day you're eating lunch and suddenly somebody lobbed a fake grenade and we all fought over who got to jump on it? No. <laughs> no, that would, that, that would be bad training. Fighting over who gets to jump on a grenade is called bad training. Getting away from the grenade, that's called good training, right? But all of a sudden you're in that position and, and it lands and there's five buddies in a foxhole and one guy throws himself on it. Why? Because, I'll tell you this. You've got to hear me. It's because I believe that the pain that would come from doing something is less than the pain from doing nothing and watching four guys get blown up. There's no drill. It isn't, it isn't like when we did grenade jumping practice, I always got straight A's. It isn't passionate. I can't wait to be in combat. I hope they lob a grenade at me because I'm going to win the Medal of Honor. All 47 pieces of me are going to be heroes and they're going to be ah. You don't say that. So why do they do it? It's not because of passion, and it's not because of proficiency. It's because if I don't do this, something worse is going to happen, and I couldn't live with it. And you have that much time to think about it. Think about it this way. Why do all heroes, I don't know if you noticed, I did because it happened Thursday night, and it happened again. We're clapping for our veterans, and I said one phrase. I said two words. I said, you're heroes. And as soon as I did, everybody sat down. Why? Why are we so uncomfortable 
being called heroes. Do you remember back, was it 1981? How many of you guys were alive in 1981? You don't remember back. Anybody watch on YouTube, 1981? There was an Air France flight leaving from, I think it was Dulles, and it, it ended up in the Potomac River, and only a handful of people survived, but now they're in a, a river that's got icebergs floating down it. Remember this? There's a helicopter. There's a bridge there, and, and they're watching these people coming out of the wreckage, and the water's so cold, the, all the blood in their muscles is going towards their organs and their heart and their chest to kind of keep them alive from going into shock, and so their arms are so weak they can barely keep themselves up. A helicopter came by and dropped a life ring on a rope, and there's one woman who kind of got her arm wrapped up. She grabbed onto another woman, and they're pulling her through the ice. It's brutal. I mean, it's cutting them up. It's sharp, jagged, heavy ice, and they're just slowly, this helicopter slowly, the wind coming down, they're soaking wet. Like, it's just agonizing to watch. And finally, from me to the middle of the room, there's, there's this one just lets go, and she's trying to do everything. She's, she goes over to her back, and then she just, you just see her just start to go under. And all of a sudden, outside the camera shot, this man jumps in. How many guys remember this? Jumps into the Potomac River and swims as fast as he can, probably because, you know, it's not time to relax. You're in 33-degree water or, or less. He's swimming. So, I mean, he gets her. He goes under the water, gets her, comes up, and he starts doing one of these back paddling things. That gets other. Can I ask you a question? Why did he do that? Please hear me. Pain only gives you two options, right? One is do something. And the other option is don't do something. But what we have to realize in this moment, please hear me, as it pertains to your purpose and what God's going to bring your way during the course of your life, sometimes it's harder to do nothing than it is to do the one thing that frightens you. And for the, for the sake of your soul and for the sake of God's purpose in your life and for the sake of eternity, please hear me. Don't ignore the moment when you're in pain as if it is something displeasurable that should be parried aside when maybe it's God calling you to be you. Maybe it's God opening a door for your identity. You know, why, why is this so important to us, guys? It's because we weren't created to change the channel. We were created to change the world. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we, we said it last week, but you're God's poem. You're, you're, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. So before there was a you, there was a reason for you. Before there was a you, there was a purpose for you. It wasn't like God created Dan and said, well, we've got to create dirty water somewhere so Dan will have a job. And he can purify water and soften it and makes Dan happy. No. He said there's going to be a need for purified water. There's going to be a need for accounting, Rich. There's going to be a need for, you know, coaching. There's going to be a need. And, and these needs, I want to create people to fill these needs. Before there was a you, there was a reason for you. And many times the thing that leads us into that purpose that God has for us is that sense of passion. Oh, I can't wait to do it. I love to do it. And the other one is, man, it kills me. If I got to see that one more time, I'll just die. And if you look at some of the greatest people in Scripture, you're going to find this one thing almost universally in common, and that is they're in pain. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Let's look at the life of Moses and see that he was not motivated by his passion. He was not motivated by any proficiency. He's arguing with God saying, can't do it. Hang up, try a call again. She gone. I ain't going to do it, right? And instead, God has to talk him into something because he already had a pain that God gave him. Look at this. <clears throat> One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, the Israelites, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian. How many of you guys think that that's kind of a passionate move? And he hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Isn't that interesting? God made him ruler and judge over them. And isn't it interesting that, that even though no one knew what Moses' purpose was, including Moses, someone who sat up on the side says, what are you, what are you doing? You think you're ruler and judge over us? And God said, yeah. 
<laughs> he, he, he is. And if you think that's the last Egyptian, he's going to kill you. You're wrong. There's going to be a whole army laying at the bottom of the Red Sea any day now. Guys, hear, hear what I'm saying. It wasn't his passion. Someday when Pharaoh is gone, I will run for office and be Pharaoh of the land. And I, it wasn't. It was his pain. He, he didn't know what to do with it. And can I just say just briefly that if you don't know what to do with your pain, that's okay. Don't ignore it. He didn't ignore his pain. I mean, the Egyptian probably didn't like that, but it worked out pretty good for everybody else. He didn't ignore what was killing him, what was breaking his heart. He didn't stand back and say, it's so hard to watch. I'm just go back to the palace and play Mahjong. He, he literally watched people being worked ruthlessly. And when he saw someone being beaten, that was his own people. He just had a Popeye moment. He said, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. He was strong to the finish. He ate his spinach and he goes out and kills the guy because I just, it isn't, it isn't that this is the legal or this is right. It's just, I just can't watch it anymore. You ever been there? And, and what happens so often is like we talk ourselves out of it. I can't stand it, but, I, but I've got a life, and I'm, I'm part of the PTA, and my kid has soccer practice, and I, I, my job, my career, and I just, like, we deny ourselves the right to be who God created us to be because we're so involved in being what God didn't create us to be that we can miss it completely. I'm telling you, don't ignore your pain. If it kills you, write it down. If it thrills you, write it down. Because analyzing who God made us to be is a step. It's clues that he's hidden inside of us for us. Look at David. Same thing. David, 1 Samuel. we got five screens of scripture here, so check this out. Goliath, the Philistine, Neanderthal, knuckle-dragging champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and he shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. <laughs> now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. Now their perspective is he's defying us, he's defying our nation, he's defying our king. But look at David. Who is this uncircumcised, I mean, but ugly, no good, low down Philistine that he should defy the armies of who? Not Saul's armies. That would have been easy to get over. He's defying the armies of the living God. You see the pain? Goliath said to David, because they've met each other, they can yell at each other now from a distance, am I a dog? That sound Goliath-like? Was that good? Did you feel that? Am I a dog? Did you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, little boy, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You are in so much trouble. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down. I'll cut off your big old stupid ugly head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, they come towards each other, and as the Philistine moved closer, towards David to attack him, David runs up towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. How many of you guys are loving this, right? How many of you guys think God does pretty cool stuff? So listen to me. What's motivating David? I just really want to be popular. And the other kids in the cafeteria have been calling me a runt for a long time. And I just thought if I could take on Goliath, I'd really be somebody. Is that his motivation? Is it, you know, politically speaking, we're really at a disadvantage here. This, the Philistines are numerous and so forth. But if I could just go out and negotiate with a man, I think we could make peace. Is that, is that his motivation? Please hear me and, and look for it in your own soul. Has there ever been in your life a moment where you just said, that's it? Like, that, that's it. I No, no more. My sons are men of peace. They're also men of war. 
My oldest son Joshua is named Joshua David for a reason. He's a warrior poet. I, I, he's been named prophetically that since I was in seventh grade. Long story, don't want to get into it. He probably doesn't want me to share it, so let's move on. But, but in, that, in that understanding of warrior poet, I, I, there was a, a senior that was picking on a freshman when my son was in high school. A man, young, young man, is picking on a young lady and had her in tears. And as the story goes, he walked up and said, okay, that's it. Stop. And he said, what are you going to do, we again? You, you, want a, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? You know what I mean? And I just like, anyways, but I didn't. Pray. I guess know that there's laying out of hands, but there's also a fivefold ministry. It's in the Bible. Look it up. <laughs> and just kidding. I'm kind of kidding. Never mind. No, not for now. <laughs> but he stood between and he said, he said I'm going to kick your, your whatever, you know, your, your, your starter button or whatever it was. And, and Joshua said, maybe, but I'm not going to stand here anymore while you pick on this girl. So why don't you take off? I got this. How many guys think that's what a hero looks like? And the kid backed down, walked away. Josh, Josh walked away, you know. <laughs> but I love that. It, it isn't like, I think I can take him. I'm calculating a victory here. I want to be, it's just, a, you know, no, no, stop, 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 stop. You are not allowed to treat people like that, yet alone a young lady. Shame on you. And if it costs me my face, I'll give my face for it. But you're going to get my fist in your face too. So back down, you take off. I got this. And he took off. I mean, there's no some bullies are just cowards, right? What is that? That's an indignation. It's, a, it's an anger. It's a pain. It would hurt me more to stand back and watch this kid be abused and no one do anything than to stand up and get beat up for it. Come, somebody say amen. We, we need people that are heroes, guys. We need people to stand up and say, I may not win this fight. And David literally says that. He didn't say, I will go kill him because I killed lions and bears. He said, I'll go fight him. How many of us know fighting isn't killing? It's just fighting. Your servant will go and fight this man. And then he uses the lion and the bear as a resume, so Saul will let him go. But I don't think David really knows if he's going to win or not. I think he stands out there. It isn't until boldness comes on him. But it's just, it's pain. How many of you guys are saying pain is a superpower? Look at Nehemiah. The word of Nehemiah, son of Chakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year while I was at the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about what happened after we were destroyed, after we were first conquered by sin, and then by all these other people that came along, and the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem, the, the key city where the temple is. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Look at this. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept for some days. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed. Now, please hear me, and this is something you have to get about pain. Hanani delivers information and goes on his way. Nehemiah receives information and finds his way. Nehemiah was destined to rebuild the walls, reestablish the gates, put the city that had been destroyed back on the map. And literally for days after he mourns and fasts and weeps and all this kind of stuff, and he just, it just breaks him. Why, let me ask you this. Why is it Hanani just went on his way? Like, yeah, boy, it's hard to be them, and he goes on his way. But it hits Nehemiah very differently. Are you guys hearing me? Come on, somebody say amen. Listen, God doesn't give the same pain to everybody. And you cannot get angry when people don't share your pain because maybe God didn't give them the same pain he gave to you. You can't be confused by their pain. I don't know why you're so upset. I mean, you, you want to save the whales, that's great, but we got kids right across the street that would benefit from eating a whale. So I, like, let's not get into arguments over whose pain is more valid than somebody else's pain. Let's not get into arguments over whose pain is greater, whose cause is greater. All I know is this. When I stand before the Lord, I'm going to be responsible for what he gave me to do, not what he gave everybody to do. I'm going to be responsible for having found and developed me in the likeness of Christ, not, not everybody else. I, I guess some other people, but not, not everybody else. 
when God gives you a distinct agony, please, I mean, you got to hear me. It's so important you get this because you'll, you'll decide if no one else shares this pain, it must be the wrong pain, and it's not. Or the persecution that comes from the pain from those who don't have the pain, well, it just seems like it's just more trouble than it's worth, and it's not. The pain that's inside of you, the God-given pain. I'm not talking about mourning. I'm not talking about the sadness that comes from loss. I'm, I'm talking about that God-given churning in your bowels. <gasps> oh, somebody should do something about that pain. Please hear me. Just because no one else feels it too doesn't mean it didn't come from God to you. And that rhymed. What a great bumper sticker. <laughs> somebody tweet that. That's good, right? So Hanani goes, yeah, it sucks to be them. And Nehemiah goes, I, he literally risks his life. I would rather die than to live with this. And he goes in the presence of the king, and he tells the king, you know that city you burned? You know those walls you broke down? My daddy's 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 daddy is buried there. And the king goes, what can I do for you? He goes, I want to rebuild it. <laughs> he just destroyed it. What do you want from me? I want to rebuild it. How many of you know that's probably not going to be a, a granted request? So Nehemiah knows walking in, there's life or death, but there is a pain. Please hear me. There's a pain you can live with, and there's a pain you'd rather die for. And in his life, it's like he wept, he mourned, he fasted. He just stood before a king and said, I don't care this cost for my life. I would rather die than live with the knowledge that the city that my fathers are buried in, the city of the Lord, the city of the temple of God is in ruin. That wasn't everybody's pain. It was a calling. It was a clue. It was, it was an anointing that Nehemiah uniquely had for his generation. Somebody say amen. All right. Look at Paul. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed, going to hell, cut off from Jesus for the sake of my people, the Jews, those of my own race. He's, he's saying, listen, I, I, it just kills me to think that theirs is the covenant and theirs is the anointing and theirs is the promise and theirs is the temple and theirs is the sacrifice, but, and Jesus is theirs. They don't know it. Like, if I could give my life for them like Jesus gave his life for them, I'd do it. How many of you guys know sometimes the secret power of great men is not their passion or their intelligence, their proficiency. It's their pain. What made them keep going back? You know, every, t every town that Paul preached the gospel in, one of two things happened. Anybody know where they were? Number one was revival, and the other one was a riot. Those were the two things. Either they said, yay, or they said, stone him. He got stoned more than the Grateful Dead. I mean, he, he was, he was. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. He, was, he spent nights and days in the open sea. He'd been flogged. He'd been in prison. What made him keep coming back? He just, I, I, I could relax. I could have, I could have ease. I could, but I, I just keep pushing. Our very first marathon that Dina and I ran just reminded me of that. Can I tell that story, including the good part? Okay, good. So we're, we're running the first marathon, and two miles into it, I got runner's knee. The IT band kept around the knee, was inflamed, it tightened up, and it felt like someone was doing this with a screwdriver with every step. So I started running like, hey, Mickey Mouse, how you doing? And then, and then it was kind of like, you know, Igor, like, yes, master, I'm coming, you know. <laughs> two miles in, I'm dragging a dead leg. And my, and my wife says, what's wrong with you? And I said, my knee, it's, it's just all messed up. I said, and the first three miles, you run around Epcot Center. The car's there. I've been running around Epcot Center, and the car's there. And I've got another 21, 22 miles to go, and I'm in a lot of pain right now. And I said, babe, I'm in pain. I don't, I'm just kind of feeling out that we just trained 500 miles for this, and, and it's a beautiful day for it, but I'm just thinking about quitting. And how many of you guys know, never tell an athletic woman you're thinking about quitting. <laughs> we were running for Romanian orphans. If we did it, kids got food. If we didn't, then, then we didn't. We knew that we needed something to motivate us besides our, our own um, desire to finish a marathon. And, and I, I, she kind of slowed down, came back to me and said, let me see what you got. And, okay, all right. And she started to coach me. This is what she said to me. 
She said, if you want to quit, the car's right there. You can quit, and your pain will be done in 10 minutes. But if you don't finish this race, the kids in Romania, their pain will not stop. Now put on your big girl panties and just keep running. A pain greater than pain will produce something that passion never will. I got right behind that little girl. I stared at my happy place and I followed it for the next 22 miles. <laughs> I'm just saying. You think I'm kidding? Absolutely not kidding. Even Jesus had <laughs> compassion. <laughs> before he multiplies loaves and fish, before he heals blind eyes, before he preaches uh, and sets captives free and, and uh, heals all that are, that are uh, oppressed of the devil, sick and diseased, before all these miracles, the word that is there is the same word, spanchizomai. pity in, in Luke, but it's in the, these two gospels, spanchizomai, it's compassion. Like I just, it hurts me to see this. He walked into a city and saw everybody and went, oh, no, 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 sweetie, come here, come here, come here, come here. Guys, hear me. Pain is something we shouldn't ignore. Pain is something we should discern and embrace at the right time. So here's my question I want to ask you as Piano Man joins us up here today, please. What is your pain? And, and again, I know this is hard. We've got a circle. Passion, that was easy. Well, I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate about good food. I'm passionate about travel. I'm passionate about deer hunting. I'm passionate about people that like good food while they're deer hunting, while they're traveling. I'm passionate about it, right? Pain, we're kind of like, well, I'll get to that one. Don't, don't get to that one. Really think about this. Because I think there are things that I will do because I'm passionate. But, but understand the temptation of passionate people. If I'm passionate and I succeed better than the average, I'm tempted to level out because I've, I've achieved. My passion has brought me achievement. If I'm passionate and, and my, my level of proficiency goes down and I'm not really good at it, I can convince myself to quit because well, I was passionate about it, but I wasn't good at it. Passion gives you the option to succeed or fail. Pain gives you neither luxury. Yeah, hey, the church grew by 10%, and the, but, but there's still another 90% of people outside our doors that don't know Jesus. I'm not out of pain. Are you out of pain? The lost people you know, are you out of pain because one of your friends came to Christ? Are you out of pain yet? Like, no. All your kids serving the Lord or just one? Are you out of pain? All your dreams fulfilled, your grandkids are saddled, everybody, your, your family's established, you know the girl you're going to marry, the guy you're going to marry. Like, are you out of pain? Passion will lead you to a place of peace and you'll quit. Passion will lead you to a place of, of, of failure and you'll quit. But pain affords zero luxury for stopping. Until I am done, I will work to relieve this pain. So you ask questions like, what's the one thing you would change in the world if you could? Maybe you're in pain right now. You're like, I don't have time to think about this. Listen to me. When I'm really hurting, I go to places where people are really hurting. And it helps me a lot. A man that complains that he has no shoes needs only walk a, while, uh, a mile with a man that has no feet before he realizes how blessed he is. When I'm really down, my wife will tell you, I just got to go to the ER. She's like, to check yourself in? No, just to check everybody out. Can I hold that puke basin for you? Can I hold your ponytail while you... I'm sorry, you look like you're in a lot of pain. Can I pray for you? I go visit people in the hospital. Why? Because I'm not in a hospital bed. And by giving away, by relieving the pain of others, God oftentimes comforts the pain in my own heart. What is the one thing you would change in the world if you could? What bothers you in a way that it doesn't seem to bother other people? That's a clue to who you are, what God made you to be. This is one of my favorite ones. What topic do your family and friends not want to bring up around you because you won't shut up about it once you get started? 
And I'm not talking about mega hats and sports. I'm really not. Those are, those are beautiful emotional sidetracks for emotionally lazy people. I'm talking about your pain, not your frustration. What is it you say? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you one of mine. The most you probably already know. But several years ago, about five years ago now, I was invited to go to Haiti. Got off the plane. I've been to Haiti before. I know what it smells like. I know what it feels like. I know the poverty. And you just kind of harden yourself to it. The military taught me to, to kind of insulate, isolate my emotions. So you can't, you can't really comfort somebody while you're looking for their leg when you're, when you're like, oh, my gosh, you lost your leg. So you say, hey, good news, found both your legs. Don't go into shock, right? So you just kind of go into that mode. So I go into that mode. Same mode I'll be in today when I get on a plane going to, to Italy. It's like I'm just, I'm just on mission. I'm on task. But I, I got to this orphanage, and there was this little girl. And she was much smaller than the other children. She was tiny and just spindly armed, just not concentration camp spindly, but spindly. Hair was turning red from malnutrition, just little spider-like arms. Uh, her eyes were withdrawn and just sunken in her head, very dark. And she was only, babe, that big? Is that, is that the totality of that kid? Like the butt would be here, the head would be here. And I sat down next to her on a bench. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, sometimes kids just rob to you and sometimes they will shy her. I like to go to the shy ones. And I sat down, I put my hand on the bench next to her, sitting in the shade, and I just let my pinky touch her pinky. And she didn't pull away. In about 10 seconds, she put her hand on top of my hand. And she gave me permission to look at her. And so I looked at her, and I smiled at her. And, and, uh, and she wasn't okay. The look wasn't, I love you, or kind of a piece of candy. Up, a girl was probably three years old. She might have been five, but she was so tiny. It was. I'm scared, and I'm sick, and I'm in pain. And I, she didn't have the words to say those things. And so I, I said, like, do you want to come over here? And she came and she sat on my lap. And I stood up, and there was a group of kids that were getting these starburst candies. And it was like, you ever take a loaf of bread on the beach and clear water and throw it and just watch the seagulls fight? That that's what was happening. And I waited in the middle of all that chaos, and I grabbed a starburst, and I'm holding her up, and they're trying to get, and I'm holding them up, and I'm like, hey, thank you. Get out of my way. Okay. And I opened up the starburst can. I took a little bite off, because if you give a, a starving child a piece of candy, you can kill them. So I just took a little nipple off, and I took that nipple out, and I put it in her mouth, and she, she looked at me, and it was kind of like the lights kind of came on a little bit. I said, do you like that? And she, it wasn't a smile, but it, she wasn't as lost, if that makes sense. I took another little bite off it. Probably a gram of sugar. By the time I was done, I'd probably given her a gram of sugar, just a fraction of a gram at a time. And I walked around with her, and then she put her head on my shoulders. And she fell asleep in my arms. And then she peed all over me. <laughs> and I fell in love. I fell in love with the children of Haiti. Fell in love with orphans. Fell in love with abandoned, forgotten, broken, starving kids. I didn't know what to do with it until I was standing right over there where Pastor Jason's sitting. I was standing right in front of that chair. The Lord said, I want you to feed a million kids. And I went, oh, you mean you want Billy Graham to feed a million kids? You want... And I knew that if I didn't do something about that right away, that worship I came and said, listen, I feel like the Lord just told us to feed a million kids. We have now, and please don't clap because we're not done. We fed about 800,000 kids meals in, in Haiti so far. We're about 200,000 meals away from completing the assignment that I think will probably never end in my life. 
And, and I want you to know something, guys. I'm not poor because of that moment. I'm rich beyond imagination because of that moment. I'm not in pain in a bad way. I, and I, I'm trying to explain it to you with words that don't, I don't think there's language. Maybe a poet, maybe Shakespeare or somebody could try to grasp the thought of what I'm saying. But understand this. When it's pain, it hurts. When it's God's pain, it's exquisite. It's, it's beautiful. It's moving. It's, I mean, I've got a hard heart. I stand and preside over death on a daily basis. I, I, so understand, I, I compartmentalize my emotions. But when God gets in there and says, no, that's not a pain. This is your pain. By embracing it, I have embraced a world. I, pain is awful, but relieving pain is exquisite. And if you're here today and there's nothing that would make you cry, nothing that would move you to be like Jesus, nothing that would get you beyond your own comforts, nothing that would draw you closer or deeper or, or farther in a relationship with him, then my friends, hear me. You're missing one of the greatest things in Christ. What is it that breaks your heart? Find yourself there. But, but maybe a better question is this. What is it that breaks his heart? If God has pain, and I believe he does, not that he's incomplete and, you know, oh, me, help me, bless me, comfort me. I think he's praying to himself for relief, but understand this. I think there's things that break God's heart. Jesus wept, and Jesus is the likeness of the Father in flesh. So when we see him, if Jesus weeps, what do you think God does? And what would you think he'd weep over? And I, I don't know what your pain is, but can I just begin to suggest something to you? Find it. Find the exquisite brokenness of receiving joyfully a piece of God's broken heart for humanity of walking one day and going oh no 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 come here come here sweetie come here come here, come here. welcoming a child feeding a kid being a missionary starting a veterans organization for PTSD guys a first responder whatever is in your heart to do I don't know if you notice, but Jim Parkins out there talking, and he's not making eye contact with the camera. Why? Because talking about what he looks at and those who have looked at it is very difficult. But I got to tell you something. Jim's never brighter, never shinier, never more relieved, more, more pleased than when one of these people that God has broken his heart for makes a decision and comes in the right direction. Nobody move. <laughs> What's God's pain? I think we are. <laughs> I think we are. I think humanity is. I can prove that, I guess, theologically. Satan can't touch God. You, you agree with that? He can't walk in the presence of God, slap him, come off the throne. He doesn't have that kind of power or authority. You see that? So why would Satan be so bent on destroying us? Because I think we're the one thing that can actually break God's heart. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you say, Jim, this is a, a neat teaching. Thank you. I, I feel closer to my purpose. Now I'm going to journal this and write this down. But I didn't come here today to find out who I am. I came here today because I'm in pain. I came here today because God feels like he's a million miles from me. I came because in my heart of hearts, there's just something that's it's missing. I want to renew it. I, I want to be new in it. I, I, I want to be transformed. I want to be changed. In a room this size with this many people, there's always one to ten people that say, you know what, I, I didn't come here today to get a teaching on marriage or money or time management or what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. I came here today because I need Jesus to be real today. So I'm going to ask this room right now, if you would, please, just to close your eyes for just a moment. Remain seated and close your eyes just a moment. One of the things we value tremendously here at the church is this moment right here. You'd be shocked at all the prayers that go up right now for people. They're just saying, God, if there's one. God, if there's ten. God, if there's just... We're in so much pain about people that are so far from God that it, it just... This is that moment where we feel God just say, yes, thank you. Welcome home. 
here today and you came here because you want to get right with God. I promise you two things. Number one is that my eyes will be the only ones open in this room. I've asked everybody else to close theirs, and I respect that. They'll respect that. The other one is this really is between you and God. It's not really between you and me, but if you're here and you're like, I, I mean, you guys know that sometimes our faith needs an action. It needs to be more than just something that's inside of us. We need to express it. So by simply, in a moment, raising your hand and saying, I'm here today, and I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I want to get my heart right with God. I want that void filled. I need Jesus today. And when I come to three of the day, I want you simply to raise your hand and say, yeah, that, that's me. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. One, all this room, raise your hand. It comes time. Two, Christians are praying all this room right now. It's time to come home. Time to stop running. Three, if that's you, lift your hand up all over this room right now. Yeah. Beautiful. Raise it up, put it right back down again. Today's my day. Today's my day. All over this room, you know what to do. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Let's come home. Let's, let's drop our baggage off. Let's get right with God. Let's not trust religion. Let's not trust men. Let's not trust theories and theologies. Let's go straight to the source. Let's just talk to Jesus right now. Say this with me all over this room. Jesus, I was wrong. <laughs> Feels good to say that. You were right. Feels good to say that too. I ask for your forgiveness. Everything I've ever done. Everything I'll ever do. Forgive me. I believe that you are enough. That you've done enough. That you'll always be enough. To keep me right with you. Your love and your blood is greater than my sin. So from this day forward... I belong to you, and you belong to me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. Help me to find my pain. And I'll see you soon. Amen. Amen. Stand your feet, please, all over this room. I'm so glad you came to church today. May you be in exquisite agony the days of your life. May you know the joy of waking up every morning saying, good morning, Lord, instead of good Lord, it's morning. May you know what it is to feed a child anonymously and watch their eyes brighten. May you know what it is to bring peace and hope where there wasn't any. Altar workers are moving forward. If there's anything we can pray with anybody about for any reason, for any amount of time, any, 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 we love it. And uh, pray for him too. He hurt his tummy the other day. He's got a hernia. So don't let him pick you up. Catch me. Let's see if you're healed. No. Uh, if you need prayer, come forward. If not, as my wife invited you, if you're guests, there's that guest reception, that open door in the back corner of the room with the light on. Love to hang out with you. And uh, can I ask one last thing? That'll take 30 seconds. Nobody said anything. Is that a no? Is that a hard pass? What was that? Can I do it? I need to. What you don't know uh, is today something has happened. It's a very good thing. It's not a bad thing. Last Thursday night, we recorded the sermon, the service, the teaching part of it, because we have a heart to send that teaching out and to begin family room churches and rural churches and urban churches. The, the churches we know it in America is really beginning to evaporate in both the rural and the urban setting. Um, 
leadership has been become an issue. Uh, as as one generation retires, it was tithing 10% of their, their gross income. Now it takes 30 new families because they're giving one to 3%, not 10%. They're making $50,000 a year, not $150,000 a year. So there's a changing dynamic where we are closing churches in Michigan faster than at any other season in, in the history of Michigan. And so one of the things we're going to be doing is taking teachings and we're going to start exporting them to other places. How many guys think to whom much has been given, much is required? And so this is my prayer request. This is my ask. The next service, because we're going to ask others to do it, we are, I will not be teaching in the next service. I'll be here. I'll do this part of the service, all this sort of stuff. But we're going to have video, the, the magic LED wall behind me will be the medium by which the word will be preached this morning. And I want to begin to craft that here so we can export it there. If this works, this opens up a whole new door. Instead of being in one place for one service, we can now be in hundreds, even thousands of places, in prisons, in restaurants, and in military barracks around the world. We're going to start training clergy, and so we're taking a bold first step into this brand new adventure. The last 25 years, we've been doing things very similarly. The next 25 years, we're going to multiply what we're doing, we hope, through the use of things like LEDs and technology. So before you go, could we just pray together that the next group will love this? All right. So, Father, it's not an experiment. It's, it's a step of faith. It's not for a season. It's, if this isn't the way through the door, we've got to find some other way through this door. But every community needs a church. Right now, there's somebody praying, God, if you're real, I need you. And that church just closed. We closed four churches in the last two months in Michigan. We've got another three slated to be closed in the next two months. Paid off buildings that need leadership, that need teaching, that need whatever we seem to have in abundance here. We had to set up extra chairs here. God, we, we thank you for an abundance, but we don't want to keep the abundance to ourselves. So we ask, put your grace and favor on the next group of people that gathers in this room. May our hearts see the vision and understand why and not just feel like, well, I just need preaching. Just We bind all the spirit of criticism, religion, tradition in Jesus' name. Let there be a new day and a new anointing with the new day, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... All right, you were here that Sunday, all right? Live long, prosper, and we will see you soon.